0: Welcome to Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. You can find new episodes every Friday, available on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe through Anchor or sign up on the Patreon page, both links are in the bio, for access to bonus episodes, early episode plays, and more. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.com. Dot spooky spaces for all news and updates. Due to the graphic nature of some of the cases and spaces featured on this show, listener discretion is advised. Hello there, spooky creeps. How are you? Um, Welcome to this week's episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia. I am actually super excited uh, because next week's episode actually marks the one year of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. And um, I'm really, I'm not going to lie. When I first put out this podcast, um, I started doing it for fun and as a hobby and just to kind of share my love with like true crime and the paranormal and haunted places and just the creepy spooky stuff. And I never imagined that it would actually get to where it is today. So, um, I know I say this all the time, but thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, just keep up that momentum for me. I just know that you are appreciated and I do this show for more than just myself. I do this podcast for you as well. I get a lot of great feedback on episodes and just cool places to research and cool um, crimes and cases to talk about. Um, so thank you so much um, don't forget that you can subscribe thru- uh, blah, blah, blah. you can subscribe directly through the anchor website or through the Patreon the Patreon does have different levels and there are some cool thank you swag um, items if you subscribe through the Patreon and um, don't forget over at uh, the Wiccan Fay Candle Shop at pizzaandpigtails.com you can actually get your very own set of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces candles, so be sure to check those out. Um, Before I start this episode, um, I do want to put the disclaimer that there are some pretty gruesome details um, for this creepy case that I'm covering this week, so listener discretion is advised. And I do don't really recommend it for the younger ears or those who are faint of heart and get a little creepied out a little too much. Um, But yeah, let's get started with this week's episode. So imagine being 22 years old. I know for some that's not hard because you're 22 years old now. But Your whole life is ahead of you, and you are making moves to follow your dreams to become an actress, only it's not quite working out the way you want, and you're hearing a lot of no's, but then your life is suddenly cut short, and when your name finally hits the headlines of the papers, it's all for the wrong reasons. This is what happened to the young woman, who is the topic of our creepy case. In 1947, her body was found one morning by a mother who was out for a walk with her young child. Now, what she thought was just a mannequin turned out to be the body of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia, and the topic of this week's creepy case. Elizabeth Short was born July 29, 1924, in the Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts, to Cleo Short and Phoebe Mae Sawyer. She had four sisters whom she was smack dab in the middle of. Now, in 1927, the family moved to Portland for a short while before moving back to Boston that same year. Cleo built miniature golf courses, which actually sounds like a really fun career to me, um, and I think that would actually be kind of cool to do, Um, up until about 1929. Now, at this time, he lost most of his life savings when the stock market crashed, as did many others and not even a year later his car was found on the charlestown bridge but he was nowhere to be found it was assumed that he had jumped into the charles river now believing that her husband was dead phoebe took a job as a bookkeeper to provide for her family of young girls now elizabeth was plagued by bronchitis as a young child and severe and had severe asthma attacks so at just 15 years old she had surgery on her lungs and due to the doctor's orders she was actually sent to spend the Floridas or the winters in miami florida with family friends over the course of um, about three years And in her sophomore sophomore year she dropped out of medford high school now in 1942 phoebe received a letter from her husband, who she had presumed dead, apologizing for abandoning the family and explaining that he had started a new life in California. And now I don't know about you, but if I were to get this letter, I would be shocked and kind of pissed off. Like, could you imagine going 12 years and then receiving this letter, like thinking that your husband had killed himself and then all of a sudden he pops back up like I would be demanding like a lot more answers and like way more than just a letter saying hey I'm sorry (sighs) now in December at age 18 Elizabeth made the move cross-country to reunite and live with her father whom she actually hadn't seen since she was six years old Um, but arguments between the two actually caused Elizabeth to move out only about a month later at the end of January 1943. At this time, she began working at the base exchange at Camp Cook while living with a U.S. Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. But later that year, she moved to Santa Barbara, And she was actually arrested for underage drinking and was sent back to Massachusetts, but shortly made her way back to Florida. It was then that Elizabeth met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., an Army Air Force officer who was training for deployment to Southeast Asia Theater of World War II. Gordon had actually proposed marriage to Elizabeth while he was recovering from a plane crash and she was happy to accept. Sadly, Matthew died in a second crash in August of 1945, less than one week before the war ended. Now in July of 1946, she once again made the cross-country move to California, but this time she ended up in Los Angeles. And this is where she would live out the remainder of her short life, working as, I'm leaving behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Elizabeth Short was an aspiring actress, but she had no acting jobs or credits at the time of her death. On January 9th, 1947, Elizabeth took a trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old married salesman she had been dating. Now, according to him, Elizabeth was supposed to be meeting with her sister who was visiting from Boston, so he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And staff confirmed that she was seen using the phone in the lobby. And then shortly after this, she was seen at the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street, less than one mile away. And now this sighting at the Cocktail Lounge is the last official sighting of Elizabeth Short. Our creepy case will return after a few words from our sponsors. It was around 10 a.m. on January 15, 1947. Betty Bursinger, a local stay-at-home mother, was pushing her two-year-old daughter in a stroller down North Avenue in the Lamert Park area of Los Angeles when something caught her eye amid the weedy, vacant lot. She originally thought the pale, white, naked woman was just a mannequin. The way she was posed and the stark contrast of her hair. But upon getting a closer look, she realized it was actually the corpse of life person. She grabbed her daughter and rushed to the nearest home to telephone police, igniting a frenzy that engulfed several divisions of the LAPD and reporters from the city's newspapers for what became one of the country's most famous unsolved cases. It was a gruesome sight. Elizabeth's naked body was found just a few feet from the sidewalk, sliced clean in half at the waist, and despite the extreme mutilation, the body was completely drained of blood, and the crime scene had none. Indicating that Elizabeth was killed somewhere else, and the body was cleaned before being dumped in the field. Now some of her organs, such as her intestines, had been removed and placed neatly under her buttocks. Now pieces of flesh had also been cut away from her thighs and her breasts, and her stomach was full of feces, leading some to believe that she'd been forced to eat them before she was killed. Now the most chilling mutations were the lacerations on her face. The killer, or killers, had sliced each of each side of her face from the corners of her mouths to her ears. And close to the body, detectives took note of a heel print and a cement sack that contained traces of blood, which possibly was used to move her body. Medical examiners determined Elizabeth had been dead for around 10 hours before she had been discovered. The lower part of her body was about a foot from the upper part, and her hands were placed over her head, elbows bent at right angles, and her legs were spread wide apart. Her autopsy also noted ligature marks on her wrists, ankles, and neck, obviously indicating that she had been tied up and she had bruising on the right side of her of her head with a small amount of bleeding but her skull wasn't fractured and the cause of death death was determined to be hemorrhaging from lacerations to her face and shock from blows to the head and it seemed that she was also sexually assaulted however that has never been confirmed It took less than an hour to identify Elizabeth Short by her fingerprints via sound photo. And sound photo is a sort of um, fax machine used by news services um, back before technology really took off and computers, fax machines and all that. Her prints were on file as she applied for a job as a clerk at Camp Cook and, obviously, from her arrest for underage drinking. And they also had her mugshot on file. Now, Elizabeth was nicknamed the Black Dahlia by the press. Um, It was actually um, normal for the press and the LAPD to kind of nickname the cases. And it still happens today, but I don't feel like it happens as much. Now, assuming that this was based on her stark hair it was it was black basically and her penchant for sheer black clothing and for the movie the blue dahlia that was out at the time now she was described as a quote-unquote adventurous who prowled hollywood boulevard and the los angeles times deemed the murder a sex fiend slaying now while it seemed elizabeth got around and had quite a few male uh, prospects. She was not the sex fiend and the sex addict that everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people made her out to be. Now, To help LAPD, the FBI ran record checks on potential suspects and conducted interviews across the entire country. Based on early suspicions that the murderers may have had skills in dissection, they checked out a group of students at the University of Southern California Medical School, which was actually located not too far away from where her body was found. And they also ran a check on fingerprints lifted from an anonymous letter possibly sent by the killer, but the prints didn't come up. Um, They weren't on file. On January 24th, a suspicious letter was sent to authorities with cut out words reading, Here are Dahlia's belongings, along with her birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book. And everything had been cleaned with gasoline. Now, police contacted around 75 men from the address book, most who claimed that they really only knew her for a short period of time. Now, sadly, Phoebe Short didn't learn of her daughter's death until some asshole reporters called her, pretending that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest. And they collected all kinds of information about Elizabeth, until they finally revealed to her that her daughter had been murdered and her body had been mutilated. As famous as the case became, authorities had a difficult time figuring out who did it. Especially because almost 50 men and women went to the police claiming to be her killer, which I really don't understand that. Like, I... I, I don't understand like the need for attention so bad that you're going to uh, confess to a murder knowing that you didn't do it. Um, just to, I don't know if it's just to get your name out there because you' that's really going out for all the wrong attention. Um, but many believe that the media played a big part in hindering the case being solved. They felt that they walked all over evidence and actually withheld tips and information that were, that was being called into the offices. Now, shortly after the belongings were sent in, another letter arrived stating, here it is. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. Now, the letter included a location, and police went and waited, but no one showed up. Afterward, another letter showed stating, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. At one point, the LAPD had 750 investigators on the case, and that's across the entire country. And they interviewed more than 150 potential suspects, over 60 confessions, but none were legitimate. And of course, the case went cold. Now, over the years, around 500 confessions have been heard. But no true evidence. And however, in recent years, theories, some ridiculous, some intriguing, and some absolutely chilling have emerged. And I'll tell you about those after a few words from our creepy case sponsors. So, kind of buckle in, um, because there are quite a few theories and suspects that I want to touch base on. And originally, there were actually over 24 suspects who were cleared. And as they would clear one, new ones would surface. And one theory that I have heard, um, actually, I've heard this quite a bit, and I'll mention it, but I won't even waste my time, because it is so just ridiculous. Um, but the theory that Elizabeth committed suicide, um, people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who could or who would, um, torture themselves and then cut themselves clean in half, drain their body of all their blood, and... Dumped themselves at a field. Um, Moving on. Some believe a woman murdered Elizabeth. Um, And they say that it could have been a wife or girlfriend of one of the men that Elizabeth was having an affair with. Um, They say that maybe they found out and that they got revenge. And now I can... Now this theory does have some clout to it. I could see it being valid. However, I'm not fully convinced due to the extent of the injuries. And Elizabeth was actually five foot five and around 115 to 120 pounds, which isn't, you know, she's, that's not heavy by any means but I don't know if it were a woman she probably would have had uh, needed an accomplice especially to move the body Um, but of course uh, I'm not gonna rule it out but I'm not quite sure it was what happened to Elizabeth Uh, some believe that her death is connected to the Cleveland torso murders between 1934 and 1938 Around 13 people were killed and surgically dismembered in and around Cleveland. And the manner in which the bodies were cut are similar, but I don't think they're connected considering this happened um, quite a ways away from Cleveland. But also it happened, let's see, 1938, 1947, eh, about nine years after the Cleveland Torso murders. Um, Plus what would prompt this serial killer from Cleveland to murder just one woman from in Los Angeles. A woman named Janice Knowlton uh, claims that her father, George, killed Elizabeth because she was pregnant with his child. And, um, some people have definitely written Janice off uh, because there were no reports of pregnancy and, um, I think it's even been said that she was not pregnant, like they came out and said that Elizabeth was not pregnant at the time of her death. Now Walter Bailey, a surgeon who lived one block from where her body was found, and his daughter was a friend of Elizabeth's sister. His widow alleged that his mistress knew a quote-unquote terrible secret and forced him to make her the main beneficiary upon his death, or she would reveal this secret. Now, he was 67 at the time of Elizabeth's murder, so... I know that doesn't really rule him out, but I just I feel that like there there was not proof that the two even met, even um, even though Elizabeth's sister and his daughter were friends. Um, there's never been any kind of um, anybody coming out or any witnesses saying that they knew each other or that they had met. Um, And I feel like really the only connection would be that he was a surgeon and the dismemberment of her body is why he kind of stuck out. And he did live really close to the dump site. Now, Norman Chandler, publisher of the LA Times, was a suspect who had been said to have gotten Elizabeth pregnant while she was working as a call girl and had her murdered by gangster Bugsy Siegel, which, once again, she wasn't pregnant, and I couldn't find anything that said she actually worked as a call girl. And I feel like the story is just really far-fetched. Like. Newspaper editor gets girl, call girl pregnant, and then has her murdered by the mob, you know, like, I just feel like it was almost a way to sell more papers or to get more attention for the L.A. Times. Now, Robert Manley, of course, he'd be on the suspect list because he was the last person who saw Elizabeth before her disappearance. And he was cleared after passing two polygraph tests, and he had a pretty tight alibi. And he actually he did have a mental illness from time to t- from the time that he spent in the army, and he would have nervous breakdowns, and he would hear voices. And this actually wound um, uh, he was actually ended up that he was committed to a mental institution. Now, Leslie Dillon was a 27 year old bellhop, aspiring writer, and former mortician's assistant who became a suspect after he contacted the police department about Elizabeth. And he lived in Florida at this time, but formerly lived in Los Angeles. Now, he read the story about her murder and he mentioned an intense interest in sadism and sexual violence in hopes of writing a book. He mentioned a Jeff Connors as a suspect, just out of the blue, gave up this guy who he said was his friend. And Dr. Paul J. DeRiver, the LAPD psychiatrist, believed that Connors didn't exist and that Dylan committed the murder himself and that Connors was a possibly a split personality. But in 1948, Dylan actually agreed to meet with the river and chose Las Vegas, and the police were unsuccessful in finding Miss Jeff Connors, and Leslie Dylan actually gave uh, intimate details about the crime, and he was taken into custody. Now, shortly after, they did find Jeff Connors, but his name was actually Artie Lane, and he lived in Los Angeles and worked as a maintenance man at Columbia Studios during the time um, that Elizabeth was kind of active in that area. Now, Dylan was cleared as a suspect, as they couldn't account for his whereabouts and couldn't prove him to be in the area at the time of the murder. And they actually, there was a, um, not really a trial, but there was like a hearing about the way that the case was being handled at this time. Because they felt that they were going just kind of after anyone who fit any, who fit the bill in any way. But I find that actually to be good police work because if, you know, even if you fit the smallest of details you, you know, you should go after them. Now, Mark Hanson, a Hollywood nightclub owner whom Short lived with, Elizabeth called Hanson from San Diego on January 8th, and he was one of the last people to talk to her. LAPD files shows that he made a contradicting statement, and his address book was actually found among Elizabeth's belongings. He had never used it. However, Elizabeth was using it as her own, but it has hit, had his name embossed on it. The files show that he actually tried to seduce Elizabeth, but she turned him down. So some people think that he was the killer because he was kind of jilted by it and they say that Hansen was Swedish and spent time at Sweden's medical surgical school which could explain the precise dissection but Hansen had friends in the LAPD and some believe that they were involved in a cover-up now the most believable theory is that Dr. George Hill Hodel Jr. killed Elizabeth Short. and He was first investigated in 1949 when his 14-year-old daughter accused him of molesting her. And even though three witnesses testified that they saw George having sex with Tamar, he was acquitted in 1949. Which... gross. He was under surveillance from February to March, 1950, and he was heard saying, Suppose and I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead. They thought something was fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did. Kill my secretary. Now, Steve Hodel, George's son, was looking through George's belongings after his death. And he found a photo album tucked away in a box. And inside this photo album, he found pictures of his mom, his dad, his brothers, and as well as many family photos. Now, towards the back, he found two photos of a woman, her eyes cast downward with curly, deep black hair. And he says that he remembers saying to himself, my God, that looks like the Black Dahlia. Now he actually began to dig deeper into the evidence. Crime scene photos show that Elizabeth had been given a, pardon me as I try to pronounce this, a hemicorporectomy. And this is a procedure that slices the body in half just beneath the lumbar spine and this is the only spot where the body can be severed without breaking bone and it was taught in the 1930s when George had been in medical school and it turns out that he actually sat in on a lecture about this procedure there were also letters to the po- those letters to the police that um, it matched George's handwriting. The cement bag was actually found um, he had purchased the same size and brand not too long before Elizabeth's death and the home was bugged and he was heard saying well he wasn't heard saying but there was Um, a recording that was heard at 8.25 that a woman screamed and then a woman screamed again but you don't hear anything from this woman prior to the screams. There's no woman speaking, there's there's no conversation or anything like that. And now George is heard saying I realize there was nothing I could do Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 1259. And this was actually heard um, prior to his comment about um, killing his secretary, or I guess he didn't actually say he killed a secretary, but he um, he definitely made comments that would make it seem like he did. Now a lot of the evidence lines up with George Hodel killing Elizabeth, but the case has never been solved nor closed. And now Steve found details from dozens of other murders that could possibly be connected to his father. And he may not only as the Black Dahlia killer, but a deranged serial killer. In 2004, Stephen Kay, head deputy for the LAPD, said that if George Hodel were still alive, there would be enough evidence to indict him. And while they never solved the crime, it seems like George Hodel definitely could have been the killer. But unfortunately, we'll most likely never know for sure who killed Elizabeth Short and why. And I think that's one of the saddest and creepiest things about this case. But, of course, tell me your thoughts. I have heard tons of theories on this case, and I would actually like to hear yours. So you can send me a message directly through the Inker website you can send me a message and don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at creepycases.spookyspaces. And also you can email me at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. And I also believe that you can comment and message through the Patreon page as well. So until next crime. Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces is a Pizza and Pigtails production. Writing, recording, and editing done by yours truly, along with Pizza and Pigtails Productions. You can find new episodes every Friday, with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at creepycases.spookyspaces for all future news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe to Patreon or Anchor for access to bonus episodes, early access to episodes, and much more. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like featured on the podcast, shoot me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com.